turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians is where we're going to be working. Um, we'll have a longer passage in uh, five verses or so, and then we'll have a focused verse. Uh, but just as by way of reminder, we started out this calendar year by seeing what should a local congregation be doing. And we settled on two things, worship and witness. And everything we do in this building should get to one of those two things in a couple of steps. So for instance, when somebody's putting out the chairs, we would hopefully the person putting out the chairs would say, I'm putting out these chairs so people can come here and be comfortable or be disturbed when they worship, right? When we're picking up the chairs, I hope that what we say, and when we're putting the musical instruments away, is, is we say, uh, we're picking these up and putting these instruments away so that the youth group can use this for their witness and their edification and for the after-school program so that uh, kids can come here and we can teach them 15 or 20 minutes worth of Bible. And, okay, So everything we need to do uh, as a congregation goes towards one of those ends. So we talked about a God-given mission, a God-given message, which is, um, you know, God is interested in reconciling the world to himself. That's why he gave his son on the cross, and we are ambassadors of that message. We herald that message. And so uh, last week, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about the powerful folly, which is the gospel message, that it seems like foolishness. Um, and it was no less foolish in the first century than it is today. So, uh, you know, when you think about, when you look out at the world, and you think, man, uh, it seems to be kind of messed up. And God has given us this message about this guy almost 2,000 years ago who died on a cross. How can that even do anything? Well, the gospel message always finds its target. And that's the message we've been given. So uh, I can't get this Spurgeon quote out of my head, so you have to hear it again. Uh, rely implicitly on the old, old gospel. You need no other nets when you fish for men. Those your master has given you are strong enough for the great fishes and have meshes fine enough to hold the little ones. Spread these nets and no others. And you need not fear the fulfillment of his word. I will make you fishers of men. So that's an encouragement to us that when we get around to talking about the gospel, we're talking about the fact that Jesus gave his life for you. Uh, that's the message uh, that God uses. It's the power of God, but it's a powerful folly. Last week, we talked about a gospel-fueled witness out of uh, 1 John 3, 16. And that is, uh, John's writing, he says, We know love in this way, that Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for the brothers. So a gospel-fueled witness is, Jesus died for me, he gave his life for me, therefore, I give my life for others. Right? Sometimes we talk about it in terms of, Jesus gave his life for me, so I'll give my life for him. But the fact is, God doesn't need our good works, right? Because he's the original good worker. You don't need your good works because they don't earn you any merit before God. So who needs your good works? Your neighbor, right? So a gospel-fueled witness, my life for yours. And uh, we do that in a number of ways. And I was challenging us last week and in the newsletter and as we go along to think about those ways we can do that as a congregation that provides maximum exposure to actual people face to face. Because <coughs> you, uh, you could put your change in the thing at Sheets, right? And that's fine, please do that. Uh, but you don't get any face to face time, hopefully to build a relationship with that person, to talk about Jesus, all right? So today, 
we find our focus verse, which is number 28, in a longer passage in Colossians, where Paul is explaining his ministry, but he's, he's using this term, the mystery. And the mystery hidden for ages and generations. And, and what he talks about, that mystery hidden for ages and generations, is that, um, that Jesus has something to do, not only with just the Jewish people who are looking for a Messiah, but for the entire world. It was common in the first century for the Jews to think that God loved only them. And so this mystery was that God had all along, because everybody can trace themselves back to Adam, that Jesus would come along and not only die for the, the blood relatives of Abraham, but also the blood relatives of Adam. Right? Because part of the problem in the first century was that the Jews thought they were chosen because they were special, because they were special and that God didn't like the yucky Gentiles. And it really fried their brains when uh, Jesus went and ministered outside the bounds of Israel, when Paul would come along and say, you know, Jesus' blood applies to the Gentiles too. Right? And so that's the mystery. And that means that everyone on earth needs to hear about Jesus and what he's done with our sin problem. And so uh, we're going to start into our, our passage today. Here's what Paul says. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Whoop, stop. What's the, what's the principle there? Is the gospel-fueled principle there? My life for yours? Why does Paul say he's suffering? For the sake of the Colossians. Jesus gave his life for Paul. Paul's giving his life for the Colossians, right? That's that gospel-fueled witness, right? Okay. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And so he's giving himself for the, for the Colossians and also for the church. And when he says that he's, when he's talking about lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's not saying that he's adding to it. I mean, he's saying that he's expanding it, but, you know, because Jesus has gone and the Spirit has come and infused the church with this gospel witness to keep doing work, okay? He's not adding to it as though somehow Christ's work for the church is, is less, right? Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What's that again? That gospel-fueled principle? My life for your life? I was, given this, I was given this message about Jesus. Why? For your sake, okay? To make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what he's saying is, this was kind of hidden for ages. It was there, but it was hidden. And now, the fact is, is that everybody needs Jesus, not just the, the people that were looking for the Messiah. Everybody needs that Messiah, and that's what's becoming made known. Verse 28 is our focus verse. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, where is Paul getting the energy to do this gospel work? Verse 29 there. Is he getting it from the market? Is he mail ordering it from Syria? Who's giving it to him? God is giving him that energy, right? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So you serve a God 
who not only saved you so that you might do good works that he laid out beforehand, but he also gives you the power. It's amazing. And so that's our passage. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for this verse. And we know that we could never actually plumb the depths of it, that there is uh, good stuff here for us. So, Father, help us to, uh, to know it. Help us to spend time with it outside of here. And uh, use it by your Spirit. Work powerfully with your Word to, uh, to, make us, to, to, to make us be the men and women you would have us to be in Christ. Cause us to be agents, uh, ambassadors of reconciliation. Help us to proclaim Him. And if you would be so kind as to do that, we would receive the benefits and our neighbors and our enemies would receive the benefits. But Jesus gets the glory and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So verse 28 is our focus verse this morning out of that longer passage. We did see the sweep of the passage, but I want to really zoom in on 28. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we ask the question, what is it that we do here with this verse? What is Paul doing? He's proclaiming Christ. What do we do? We proclaim him. Okay? But then Paul goes on to answer a question that we might not be asking, but we should be asking, which is how do we proclaim him? What's he say there in verse 28? Say it again. Warning, Warning and what? Warning and teaching, everyone with all wisdom. So how do we proclaim Christ? We do it by warning and teaching with all wisdom. Now when Paul says all wisdom, he's talking about the wisdom that comes from God, not other places that he, that he writes about wisdom. He's saying that worldly wisdom is upside down from God's wisdom. So he's probably, he has to be talking about God's wisdom here. So what do we do? We proclaim him. How do we do it? By warning and teaching with all wisdom. And then what's the purpose? Why is he doing that? It's right there. Say it, somebody say it loud. Okay, yeah. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? That's the reason that he proclaims him through warning and teaching with all wisdom, so that everyone would be mature in Christ. The what is proclaiming, the how is with warning and teaching, and the reason, the end, the goal, is that Christians would become, the people would become Christians and be mature in Christ. In the Hebrew mind, to simply exist without a purpose is a non-thought, right? In the Hebrew mind, they would see something and they would say, what is the purpose of this? That's the purpose. Oh, it's fulfilling its purpose. Good. This is a good thing. And so when you see that word mature there, it's talking about uh, Christians growing up and fulfilling their purpose in Christ. Okay? And so the reason that we would proclaim Christ is that the Lord's intention for every Christian is that they would be mature in Christ. Does anybody know the fancy $3 Bible word for being mature in Christ? Say it again. 
Sanctification, okay? That's the $3 Bible word. Now, sometimes when, when we talk about theological words, people get, oh, that's all... Like, if I said infra or supralapsarianism, that's a fancy theological term. You don't need to be scared of it. We don't talk about it ever. But sanctification isn't one of those scary words. Why? Because it's a Bible word, right? So let's not be afraid of Bible words, okay? Sanctification, another way of putting this is that the Lord is in the business of dismantling us, taking us apart. Why? So that he can rebuild us to be more like the Lord Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. I hope that's not worrisome to you. Right? Because if we didn't need that, we would have never come to him, right? <laughs> now, some of, sometimes it's gentler than others. Some of us need more dismantling than others. Some of us don't need as much dismantling, but more building, okay? So nobody's getting out of this alive, right? When you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death, okay? And so if the goal is for God is that we be made more and more like Jesus, how can we not proclaim Jesus? If that's the goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ, how can we not talk about Christ? It's the equivalent of somebody trying to build a skyscraper and somebody just throwing all the materials at them and saying, here you go, we don't have a blueprint. Right? Okay. And so, Paul comes along and he says, him we proclaim. Why? Because we're trying to present everyone mature in Christ, so we're going to proclaim him. He is the center. And this isn't something that Paul simply said in passing once. As a matter of fact, he viewed his ministry as proclaiming Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, worldly speech, worldly wisdom, uh, saying all the cute things, right? Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Proclaim Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We're not tooting our own horn. We're tooting the horn heralding the kingdom of God coming in the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you see the gospel principle in there again? Ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, my life for yours, okay? So Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. In our passage, he says, we proclaim Him. We don't proclaim ourselves. He is the main attraction. Uh, I'll tell you the story about Ricky Jones. He's a pastor in Tulsa. He uh, used to be an RUF campus minister. And campus ministry is all about being cool, right? Because it's college and you got to be cool. And the, the apex, the coolest thing that could ever happen in RUF is if you get asked to speak at the RUF summer conference in Florida. So all the students go down there for a week, they hang out at the beach, they do all this stuff, and 
you know, you've really hit the big time if you're one of the speakers. And Ricky Jones gets up there, and I think I might have told you this before. He says, I got to get something out of the way right up front. I'm way more concerned about what you think of me than what you think of Jesus. Now, what was he doing there? He was admitting a number of things, right? Like, this is a big crowd. I want you to like me. But in him saying that, he, what he was saying was, the purpose here should be Jesus, not that you like me. Right? We proclaim him, not ourselves. And the central problem of humanity after the garden is that we are actually too interested in proclaiming ourselves. <laughs> and we don't want to proclaim somebody else as Lord, particularly Jesus, because why? That means we're not. Okay? This shows us the central theme and message of Paul's ministry was having Christ as the center. It's been said that after Jesus got a hold of Paul on the road to Damascus, this educated, pious Hebrew had to rethink his entire world around the person of Jesus. Jesus is the center. We proclaim him. How could Jesus be this important? Here's what Paul says about Jesus and who he is. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the icon of God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Who created all things? Jesus created all things. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Whoa! What is this congregation for? For Jesus. What is this synthetic plant for? For Jesus. What is the money in your wallet for? What is everything about you for? What is the nation of Russia for? What is the entire continent of Africa for? Yeah, okay, are we there? We did it? Okay, good, 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 good. He seems to be pretty important, right? 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything he might be the most important. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What the scriptures show us is that Jesus created everything that's been created. And again, I talk about this in the after school program with the students. I say, you know, I pick an object and I say, Jesus didn't create this particular plant thing, this particular fake plant. But what he did was he put all the raw materials in the earth and he made humans with a brain so that we can figure out how to do this. Because we're ultimately derivative. Even our artists don't really create anything new, right? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> and that means that when Jesus showed up in the manger, the very God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars had come near to us. That he wasn't just some random baby that lived in the first century that somehow got virally famous and seems to have lasted for a couple thousand years so far. All these people that get virally famous in our day, how long does that last? Not very long. <laughs> but Jesus is famous for a good reason. Why? He is God. We proclaim him because he's God. And what that means is that when he speaks, he does so with the authority of the fullness of God. And we live in a world that needs to be taught that Jesus is more than just a man. 
He's the God-man who gave his life for sins. We live in a world that needs to be corrected. Corrected in our thinking about Jesus. Because many think that Jesus is one among many ways to God. But that's not what the scriptures teach. And it's not what Jesus taught about himself. There is not more than one way to God. Here's 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Okay? Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus himself taught the same content. Jesus said, I forget who he was talking to here in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We proclaim him because he's not just simply a man, he's also God. We proclaim him because he is the only access that humans have to God. There is only one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's very common in our time for people to say, well, you're really close-minded because there's many ways to God, as though that statement isn't as close-minded. You see what happens there? You're close-minded saying Jesus is really the only way. And then you say, you don't really say, but you know. Well, you are as close-minded as I am about saying that he's not. Okay, so everybody's doing it. Just get down to the discussion. Don't feel like you're trying to pull one over on them by being a jerk. Because guess what? They're being jerks too. So we might as well just go with the gospel stuff, right? Okay. Just, just go with it. Look, the, the sooner we accept the fact that we're weird and God loves us in spite of our weirdness and he loves us whether our culture loves us or not, then we're going to get better off, right? I don't mean get better as in progress, but I mean we're going to be better off, right? Okay, we proclaim him because he's the only path with peace to the Father. A lot of folks just think as long as you are uh, trying to get in touch with some kind of higher power, then that, that works. And it doesn't. Jesus himself said it. Now that takes some teaching. That takes some correcting. Okay, I'm not saying we do it abrasively, but we proclaim him because our world needs to know. Right? You can't, you, you won't be, people won't be mature in Christ if they don't know this about him. If, if God is in the business of conforming us to be more like him, we need to know who Jesus is. We proclaim him also because uh, he is the one to whom everyone will have to give a, an account of their lives on the last day. This is Paul speaking on, in, in, in the Areopagus in Greece. All the, uh, the philosophers were there. And some of them probably believed in multiple gods. Some of them probably believed in no god. And here, this guy from Palestine comes and he says, uh, the, times of God, uh, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to do what? Oh, not just people standing on the mountain that day with him. Oh, okay. All people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So it was Paul, when he was proclaiming Christ, he, he told them about Christ and the resurrection, but he also said, there is a day coming that you will be judged by a man 
And then he goes on to tell him who that was. Who was it? The one who was resurrected? Jesus. Paul said that on the mount there in the Areopagus. He also said it in 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because we know this is coming, we proclaim him. We proclaim him. And Jesus himself spoke of that terrible day. This is Matthew, 28, uh, Matthew 25, rather. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on this glorious throne. Before him will be gathered who? All the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus himself said it. So Paul affirms it. There will be one day when everybody who has ever lived will have to give an account to Jesus for what we have done with the things that are for him. He says he will separate his sheep from the goats. And if you read the rest of that, it might be a little bit shocking about who the sheep and the goats are. We're going to be surprised that people are sheep that we never thought were sheep. And we will be dismayed that people that we thought were sheep were actually goats. So we haven't fully proclaimed him if we have not warned others that there is a day coming where all will have to give an account to Jesus. Nothing is hidden from him. And there is coming a day when the Son of Man will separate the sheep from the goats. Now, I know this falls on ears very toughly in the 21st century in America. Why? Because we are in the business of flattening everything out, saying that everybody is the same, saying that it is wrong for you to judge people, except that when you say that, you're already judging people, which is what you're trying to get people to not do. Okay? But we warn people. Why? Because we proclaim Him. Warning and teaching people. Why? So that they would be mature in Christ. This also falls on deaf ears in the 21st century where we are so hyper-focused on right now that we hardly give a thought to someday in the future when we might have to be accountable to God. But we proclaim Him, we warn and teach so that all may be in Christ and stand in the day of judgment. So my encouragement to myself first and you secondly is that when we get around to talking to people about Jesus, we have to sometime get to this. I know that, that people say it's distasteful to talk about people not being in heaven because we just think we're so, we think that we're kind-hearted, right? But we're not. And the fact is, Jesus says he will separate the sheep from the goats. And the the Bible's expression of what happens to people who are in the goat category is harrowing. And the Bible's description of it is just a pointer to it, so the reality of it is even worse than the Bible describes it. So we haven't proclaimed it unless we've also included this bit about judgment. I know it's hard enough for most of us to just get to talking about Jesus. 
And here we are talking about this other thing that there's judgment coming because some of us are hypersensitive to saying, well, you don't, you don't want to scare the hell out of people. Well, Jesus talked about it. Didn't he? And if we're going to proclaim him, how can we not? I will share with this, uh, I will share this story with you. The story goes that there was an old church up on the hill or out in the sticks or wherever, whatever, it doesn't matter where it was. Probably out in the sticks is better. And the, the pastor left and the congregation, the heading of the search committee uh, called the bishop because they were Methodist said, you need, we are a hellfire and brimstone preaching church, so you need to send us a hellfire and brimstone preaching preacher. And the bishop's like, well, they're kind of in short supply. I mean, this is the 20th century and all, and, but I think I got a couple of folks that can fit the bill. So they send, so the bishop sends one, and he hears from the search committee about two weeks later. We need you to send us a hellfire and brimstone preaching preacher because we're a hell star, help, you know, we're that kind of church. He said, well, we just sent you one. The, the search committee guy said, well, he left. He left. So the bishop says, well, we got, I think I got a couple more, but, you know, we don't just stock them up here. It's not like we're Walmart. And so he sends the next preacher, heard back from three or four weeks or whatever, and the search committee guy said, you need to send us another preacher. We're a hellfire and brimstone preaching church. Well, what happened last? We, we ran him off. So the bishop's like, I don't know if it's really wise for me to keep sending these preachers here to get run off, but he says they, they want a hellfire and brimstone preaching preacher, and um, I got one guy left in the stable. So he sends him the last one. And he's waiting. Two weeks go by. He doesn't hear. Three weeks go by. A year goes by. Six years go by. And the bishop is checking up on all the congregations, and he calls this congregation. He said, how's your preacher working? Oh, great, great. So let me ask you some questions. Okay. Well, you said you're a hellfire and brimstone preaching church, so the first two people didn't last very long. Did they not preach hellfire and brimstone? And he said, absolutely they did. He said, well, how is it that, you know, does the new guy preach, the most recent guy preach hellfire and brimstone? Absolutely he does. He said, well, what's the difference? How come those, those first two only lasted a month and this guy's lasted six years? And the guy said, he's a hellfire and brimstone preacher and he preaches like he doesn't want us to go there. Okay. Okay. So, I say all that to try to release some of the pressure on you that we have proclaimed Christ when we have said, he himself says there is a day coming when, when he will separate the sheep and the goats. But that's, that's a law message. That's the hammer of the law. And that always needs to be followed by the gospel. Right? That was the difference between the first two preachers and the third preacher. The third preacher was the guy who said, this is going to be terrible. Please don't go there because Jesus gave his life for you. Okay, so when you get to that part about the judgment bit, it's absolutely true. But then that's the time when the gospel can come in and do its sweet work where you plead and please come to Christ so that doesn't happen to you, right? You get there, but, but then you have the gospel as well. The gospel always finds its target and it has always been a powerful folly, but we need to use the tool that God has given us. He has... 
And so the final reason for proclaiming him is that he has simply told us to tell everyone about him. I know I don't need to show this to you again, but you're going to see it again. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How much authority did he say he had? Oh, that sounds pretty comprehensive, doesn't it? What if we really believed him on that? Right? Would that make, what's, would that make uh, a lot of things a, l a little bit less threatening to us? If we really believe that Jesus had all authority on heaven and earth? Okay. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Proclaim him. That's what he said to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We proclaim him because we live in a culture that needs to know about him. Because it is God's desire that through teaching and warning that, he, that, that people would come to know Christ and grow up and be mature in him. And Jesus has told us to do this. So uh, let's read our theme verse together today. Here we go. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is very good news. So hear it, believe it, and tell it so that others might live. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for this text. And uh, Father, the Lord Jesus tells us some tough things sometimes. And we thank you that he always tells us the truth. And anything that he tells us that is tough for us, he tells us because he loves us. So Father, help us to understand that as well so that we might be able to uh, talk tough things to other people because we love them. And so, Father, uh, continue to dismantle us and remantle us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. Uh, cause us to proclaim him with teaching and warning uh, so that many more would be mature in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.